guys. Appreciate you guys all being here. We are um, going through a series. It's called Meet with God, which is, you know, part of this. Oh, it's, it's, it's a series on prayer. I mean, you know, it's a fancy way of saying praying, trying to spice it up a little bit. Um, and we've been talking over the last couple weeks, really just like trying to, to understand um, how important prayer is, how important it is that we spend time and, and develop the discipline of prayer, the discipline of meeting with God, to cultivate our spiritual lives, to understand that um, we have, a, I think, a real desperate and, and just like innate um, need to commune with God. I would say that's a part of who you are as a person. You were created for relationship with God. Um, and we talked last week, um, you know, we talked about that in the first week, you know, just that we are spiritual beings. We are people created for relationship with God. And then we talked last week about uh, Matthew 22 and kind of that dynamic of faith and the things that will keep us from that relationship with God, you know, and it's busyness and then just like not willing to show up. Maybe it's, maybe it's called cynicism. I don't know. I think it can play out apathy in different people's lives. Poor vibes. <laughs> Maybe that's the issue, is our vibes. Um, But there are things that get in the way of our meeting with God. Um, And so, like, those are just sort of, like, uh, conceptual things, right? They're important. They they do touch reality. But what I want to talk about today is just getting... Changed the <laughs> things have rest- oh, Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, it's okay. It's really okay. Um, this week, I just want to get really practical, okay? Because um, I do think there's some some like mental framework for thinking about prayer. But in the end, prayer is practiced. It does not exist. Like I. I'm a man who's learned about sports from books, you know? So this is like, this is just a warning, you know? Um, like, baseball, you can, you, can, you can have a great team two ways, right? You can have people who can score a lot, a lot of runs. Yes, it's runs. Score a lot of runs. Um, you know, heavy hitters who can, who can clear the bases. See, I know, I know phrases. <laughs> just, just veneer. It's a veneer. Um, who can do, do that sort of thing, they, they, they can, they can uh, score. But of course, a great baseball team is not just made by a few great players. A great baseball team, and actually ones who can go up against teams with great players, are those who, like, the whole team has practiced the fundamentals. Like, they're just good at fielding the ball. They're good at uh, picking people off. They don't all necessarily have to be superstars. A good team is a team that gets really practical and practiced in the, the basics of things. And so, like, I just wanted to put that out there because the thing is, like, prayer is practiced. It is something that we need to do. And I think that we, we oftentimes think about, like, our spiritual life or maybe our collective spiritual life as a church, and we, we think about all the stuff that we need, and we think, oh, maybe if we had just a heavy hitter on the team, then things would be great. You know, if we had some certain gifted people, certain people with great talents, great spiritual capacity, great uh, preaching or prayer, or people who could be great worship leaders, like then, then we'll have a healthy and vibrant church. That's one way. I mean, look, I mean, I, I get that. Um, the, and of course, there are going to be people with varying, varying talents and varying abilities and varying, um, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to say. You guys know what I'm trying to say. 
But in the end, I think what the vision of the church is, is, is people who are broadly capable of practicing and are able to meet with God. Like that is, that is a strong church. That is a healthy church where prayer is practiced, where a life with God is practiced by everybody across the board. That's my, that's my big hope. You know, I, I don't want to uh, ever aim for being like a, a big fancy church. I would love to be a simple church where people practice prayer. That'd be clearing a very high bar for me. Um, prayer is action. And we can have great theory of prayer. We can have a great framework for what prayer is. But in the end, it's something that we need to do. It's something that we need to put into practice. It's like me. Like I can, because I read books about baseball, I can talk about baseball. I'm not good at baseball, though. My parents tried. (laughs) They tried. (laughs) They even got me a private coach when I was in eighth grade. Because my father, God bless his heart, wasn't going to teach me baseball because he didn't know about baseball. And so, but so it didn't work. I, I still don't know about baseball. This is just an embarrassing story. I don't know why I'm sharing it. Um, <laughs> right? But, like, I mean, in the end, we can have a great theory of prayer. And I think a lot of times we satisfy ourselves. We'll just say, I know that I should pray. I know how I could pray, but I don't pray. And so just my, my, my invitation is let's go beyond theory and let's get into practice. Um, I, and I just think that's, that's what we're called to. That's what the church is called to. That's what you're called to. Uh, look at the scriptures. It, it's no coincidence that in the very beginning and in the very end, we have a picture of just intimate relationship, connection, conversation with God. God's people connected with God. In the beginning, you know, we, we see how things were created. God created man for communion with him and with one another. And we have this picture in the Garden of Eden, right, of what a perfect human flourishing looks like. And it's Adam wakes up in the morning, Eve wakes up in the morning, they just walk and talk with God. It's, 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 it's a casual but beautiful, intimate friendship with the God who created all things. That's how things started, but of course, things go wrong, and, and sin comes into the world. And then at the end, like we look at the book of Revelation, the restoration of all things, and there's a lot of theology we could have around it, but what we see very clearly is that God is painting a picture for his people of the restoration of that connection. You know, this, this new heavenly Jerusalem comes down at the end of the book of Revelation. It's a picture of God restoring that connection where we can just see Jesus, be with him, be his people day and night. He's like the sun that lights up that place. He's, we, it's, like, it's like an invitation. It, it's, it's, it's in the beginning and in the end to get our imaginations fixed upon really the, the trajectory that God is trying to establish. He's trying to reestablish this connection. And if we think about Scripture as a story, which I I think we ought, right, because it is narrative, and it's trying to capture our imaginations in story, the end is prayer. It's this normal life radiating with God's presence. And in this story, like, there's, a, there's sort of, we can fill in the blanks, right? And we can read the rest of the story. There's this middle point, this decisive turning point where God takes steps to restore what's lost and get us to this ultimate vision of a restored relationship. And that happens with the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes, the purpose being 
Like, okay, if, if the problem is the relationship's broken and God wants to restore the relationship, something needs to be done. And so Jesus comes down, he takes on flesh. He's like connected with people. People are talking with him. There's, there's a relationship. Jesus comes, he restores all things. And what he does is through his death and resurrection on the cross, he invites people into the kingdom. This kingdom where this relationship is connected again, it's, it's rebuilt again. He's restoring the intimacy, the connection with God, the possibility of coming in and having that relationship once again. As it was in the beginning, as it will be in the end, right now we can enjoy it. That's the point of him coming down. He's rehabilitating men and women, saving them that they might have a life with God again. That's this eternal, saved kind of life, a life of relationship with him. And I, we have to know this. We have to settle in our mind. That is our invitation as Christians. That is the shape of the spiritual life, the ideal that we're called to, is to have that connection with God. If we follow Jesus and we have a new life with him, we now have this restored connection with him by grace according to faith. Because of what he's done. Not because you're so great, but because he's made it possible for you to speak with him again, to connect with him again, to relate with him again. And if we look at Jesus' words in John 16, he makes something really clear to the disciples, right? Because we might maybe think, oh, well, that was Jesus, right? You know, that was in Jesus' time. People could walk and talk with Jesus. What Jesus makes clear um, in, in John 16 is that he's going to go away, but it's actually going to be a good thing for the disciples because it's going to enable for generations, people to have this connection again. John 16, 5, Jesus says this, Now I'm going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you, and if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus, as anticipating his death, resurrection, and then his ascension, and he's consoling his disciples because he knows, like, like they've really enjoyed this connection with, with God in the flesh, right? And it's going to be a lot for them to process that not being a part of their lives anymore. But he insists it's actually for your benefit. It's, it's for your benefit that I go away. It's for your benefit that I would die on the cross. I mean, first and foremost, to take away sin. But secondarily, so that I could send the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, one who will enable and equip you to have this ongoing relationship with me past my time here present on this earth in, in, in the body. It's for the benefit of the disciples, and it is for our benefit. The coming of the Holy Spirit is going to change everything, not just for them, but for us. It makes a difference because it's through the Holy Spirit that we can have this relational connection with God. Since that time onward, like we are like um, in a different kind of reality, a reality shaped by connection and the power of the Spirit working within us. That's really, I mean, Paul was just like so clear about this. The Holy Spirit with us is God with us, and it changes everything. It is the basis for a, the kind of prayer life that we could have now. Jesus goes on, he talks more about the Holy Spirit and what that's going to look like. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak his own words. He will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. 
He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Actually, let me finish up because I've got to say something. I've got to stop talking. Let's keep reading. Jesus' words are more important. Truly I tell you, skipping ahead a little bit, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. What Jesus is saying on the other side of this, my death, resurrection, ascension, not only will you know that I have risen again and that'll be a source of great joy, but I will be with you by the Spirit, this Spirit who will guide you into truth, proclaim to you what you need to know, console you in the midst of difficulty, be connected and available with you, take what's of mine, which is actually what's of the Father, and declare it to you because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the immersion of the person in the life with God is the vision of Christian life. And Jesus says, I was here, you've heard about the Father, the Spirit has come, it's all us. You can know God now in this life, in the Trinity, this life, in the power of God, this life with his presence. Jesus understands his disciples are going to miss out on that closeness, but something even better is coming, and no one will take the joy from you. No one will take the joy from us. Understand your life, Christian, if you are a person who has given your life to Jesus, who has has been born again, right now that life of joy, that life of closeness, that life of power in the Spirit is something given to you that nobody can take from you. You're invited to have that because you've been given the Spirit. This presence of God that was in the beginning will be in the end and is now through the power of the Spirit. It's bringing life to people who believe the gospel. You're invited into that restored relationship right now. And honestly, um, it's like, it's like, so, if, so if no one can take it from us, then why don't we always have it? Or why don't we always experience it is probably the better question. And I think what stands in the way of mo- in most of us and what stood in the way for me personally in my, in my life, um, what stands in the way is me. <laughs> I can take things from me even if other people can't. And maybe it's, maybe it's just you. Maybe. I don't, I don't mean to like put that. I'm just talking about me. It was just me. That's my experience. You do what you want with that. I think for many of us, um, we, I mean, we haven't like paid attention. We haven't actually put into practice this kind of life. We have the theory. We haven't gone down to the point of practice. And the result is that we don't experience this kind of life, which is kind of joy, this kind of connection with God that no one can take from us. I think a lot of it's just that we just haven't practiced it. We get discouraged along the way. And of course, we have an enemy who wants to discourage us. So like there's, there's difficulty involved in that. My point being this, if you've been discouraged, if you haven't enjoyed this kind of connection, can I just re-invite you to the fundamentals again? Because I think you can have this. I think you can take steps towards this. 
I think if you start to pay attention to developing your prayer life, you'll start to experience these things that I promise that no one can take from you. Brian Heasley, uh, he's a writer. He's, he's written a couple good things on um, developing a prayer life. He says this, I truly believe that prayer, a devotion to relationship, encounter, and conversation with God is the root of all that we do. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of Jesus, and time spent with the Father that makes us who we are. Directionless lives are given meaning in our relationship with God. This relationship is grown in community through discipleship and by establishing and developing our personal devotional lives. What Heasley suggests is that if we want these things, right, to develop these things, then there is a degree of action on our part. Jesus has done all that he can, should do. He's offered this to us, and it's a matter of simply developing this connection with him on our part, of being, of being present and aware and pursuing a relationship with him. So, so how do we do that? Very practically, how do we establish and develop our personal devotional lives, our prayer lives? How do we meet with God? Um, I think we just can, can consider it in two different aspects. The first is that we need a regular daily time with God. We need to do that as a discipline. And then we need to secondarily cultivate kind of spontaneous times with God. Two, it's like, it's like you're, you're approaching it two different ways, right? Strategically two different ways. So let's talk about the first one, regular daily prayer. Regular daily time of meeting with God. Um, I'm going to make a case, right? I'm going to make an argument. And I'm, I'm doing it, and it's probably true for like 90% of you. That's what I'm saying. I say 90% of you, I think this is true. If you're the, of, the, of the 10%, don't listen to me in, on this little thing, but find something that works for you that is regular daily prayer. And I'm going to make this case. Um, you need daily ta- time with God, and it ought to be, and again, 90%, ought to be within the first hour of your waking up. Okay? Now, if you're just like, absolutely not, fine, 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 fine. You might be one of those people who's just like a super night owl, and maybe, maybe, but... but I think the morning is the best, and I'm going to be, a, I'm, and I am a morning person, so I'm going to be a morning person here, um, and, and I think there's some reasons for that, um, I don't, and I don't like being picky and insisting on the first hour, but uh, because I can't really make a moral case for it, um, and you might be an end of, the, end of the day, but the biggest reason I think to start your day is because, well, it's exemplified in Scripture over and over again. I think there's reasons for that. Like, like Psalm 5.3 is just, just one of the many examples that I could point to of practice, descriptive practice of prayer. Psalm 5.3 says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case with you, and I watch expectantly. So you see the practice of prayer as a, as a, as a morning discipline uh, presented oftentimes, not exclusively. The early church, they, they prayed three times a day uh, routinely through the Lord's Prayer, morning, afternoon, and evening. But they were certainly not neglecting this, this morning time. And what the psalmist here describes, and this is, this is my reason why, um, he commands the practice of morning prayer for the reason, I would argue, of developing expectation. He says, I watch expectantly. What I think, the the value of morning prayer to me is this. It's not that the morning is a better time than the evening, or there's a moral quality to it. But prayer in the morning sets me up 
to interact with God and expect something from him for the rest of my day. My problem is I'm not very attentive. I'm easily distracted. And so I can, if I don't set my mind to, 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 to be aware of God and expect something from him for the day, I expect nothing from him throughout the day. <laughs> and then, shockingly, I hear nothing from him because <laughs> I'm fully immersed in whatever the thing is that's in front of me, right? I think that's a me problem that I set myself up for no expectation of relationship with God. And because of that, I don't have much of one. But when I set my day up and I understand, Lord, this day I actually expect to hear from you from this moment on because I know that by the Holy Spirit I have this relationship with you. When I set myself up in the morning, I'm I'm training my brain, my mind, my heart, my spirit, my soul, whatever, all the things about me to expect something from God. Dallas Willard, it's been a while. It's been a while. We got double Willard today. Um, he says this, prayer is an honest exchange between two people who are doing things together. God and I work together, and I need to invoke his power in that activity. Joint activity is key to understanding how conversation flows. Now, you might say, God's not a person. Well, I mean, he's, he's God, but he's a person in what makes persons persons. He's not a human person. Uh, he's a person. Well, Jesus was a human person. Oh, well, there's a whole theological road I'm not going to go down this morning. Um, but, but I like this presentation when I think about what prayer is. It's joint activity. It's joint activity with God. I really, this is the only thing that makes sense to me. I, and we might say, well, God doesn't need me. And yeah, he doesn't. And isn't it nice that he invites you to work with him despite him not needing you? Uh, yeah, like to me, it just makes sense. Prayer is interactivity, it's connection, it's conversation, it's closeness. It's me understanding that I'm in this world for for a purpose, and and it's to relate with God and to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And so I should anticipate and think of my life this way. And if I think of my my, life this way, like any time you collaborate with somebody, you meet beforehand in your work if you have a little project you need to work on, you have like a, a two, five-minute meeting where you just say, okay, here's what we're going to do, here's how we're going to do it, and, and then you go and you do this thing. So what I'm saying is like your prayer time is like that. And I don't mean to lower prayer like or make it something irreverent, but honestly, like, like you are just ga- gathering with God because he's going to work in your life. He wants to work through and in you. And so you're setting up your day and you're just thinking, Lord, what are we going to do today? Let's talk about it. What do I have on my, my calendar? Lord, what do you have on your calendar? Let's consult with God and figure out how we have an interactive relationship. And I think a lot of the times we just don't have this is because we don't expect it. I think we should expect it. I think our prayer lives would suddenly be interesting to us again if we expected something from God. And if we started our days off and just said, okay, Lord, I expect something from you. I, I want to hear from you this morning. Andrew Murray, he's like an old school prayer guy, and he's a, he's a little intense, okay? So, so this is a little intense. I like it, but it's a little intense. So, so here it goes. It says, I want to secure the presence of Christ all the day. I do nothing that can interfere with it. I feel that my success during the day will depend upon my time spent alone with him in the morning. Meditation and prayer in the word are secondary to this purpose. Renewing the link for the day between Christ and me uh, in the morning hour. Murray understands his morning prayer routine as about, it's, it's like, yeah, I do some things, I meditate on the word, 
I spend some time talking to God, but what I'm doing is I'm cultivating and renewing this connection between me and God. People you have nothing to do with, you have nothing to do with. People you collaborate with and are part of, you are you connect with them often. You desire to connect with them often because you understand that that connection is really what's going to make it so that you can actually do whatever you're called to do. You're called to interactivity with God. Like, like that will, if, if, you, if you accept that, that will drive you to prayer in the morning. <laughs> not, not on the basis of guilt. Not on the basis of sheer discipline. Actually on the basis of, yeah, this just makes sense. We're doing something with God. I think a lot of us are just like not praying because we just have no, no ex- expectation that God's ever going to be a part of my life. I, I, think that's most, I think it's that simple for most of us. So to get very practical, what I'm encouraging you to do, I have a slide for this. Have a daily, that is, daily means every day, in case you didn't know. Seven, there are seven days in a week, and every day is a day. So daily, we should have a time with God. It, I am, and this, is, this one, second one is my recommendation. Within the first hour, for all the reasons that I just went over, we're not going to re- go over them again. Uh, like another thing is like in the same place if you can manage it. Some, I know a lot of people who are like, I have a chair. And I have a chair. I also have four kids. So I don't have really a great place at the moment. <laughs> I would sit outside, but it is cold <laughs> a lot of the times. And so uh, I'm failing on this one, and I look forward to when I will not live in an apartment. <laughs> right? um, but that's, that's what it is, right? I just, I just work with what I have in reality. But you might have a place where you can be regularly, right? What I'm saying is do it ritually, like, make it a discipline. Don't be like, oh, shouldn't prayer, prayer just be like how I feel? No. <laughs> just do it daily. Do it in the same way. And then do the same format. Spend some time in quiet, read some scripture, and pray. Those three things should be a part of your daily, within the first hour, same place, time of prayer. That's, that's the checklist as far as I'm concerned. If, I think if you start to do that, you'll find that you don't feel good about, oh, I, I accomplished something. I, I, I checked off all four boxes. You'll find that you begin to, to expect God to show up in your life more. You'll begin to have a new mind about what it is to interact with him. I think you'll find begin to find some of this joy and comfort and guidance of the Holy Spirit that maybe you feel like, wow, I'd really love to have that. Start with some rhythms. Start with some discipline. Start with a daily prayer rhythm. So there's that. Like, you know, I think we have to have this anchoring of discipline, but I also think we need to cultivate spontaneous prayer. To, did anyone take me up on the challenge that I gave you guys last week? I know Sean did. Where's Sean? Tell me. How'd it go, Sean? It was great. The challenge, just so you know, I I challenged you guys, and one of you took me up on it. (laughs) Maybe some of you others did, and you just don't want to talk about it. That's fine, because you know I'd ask, because I did. Sorry. Um, Was to take, take an hour that would cost you something, an hour that would cost you something just at some point this week, like an hour of where you could just go and pray and be with God and, and, and connect with him. 
but it wasn't just like a convenient time. Actually, it's an inconvenient hour. I said waste, and I, 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 was, I felt bad because I, I realized some people listen to this on podcasts. I'm making wild air quotes when I say waste time with God. Waste an hour with God. There are wild air quotes. I'm not being irreverent. It's not a waste, right? But when I'm so consumed with the busyness of life, it feels like a waste, right? Because I'm so in this tunnel vision where I can't see what's really important because I, I have all these appointments and I have all, 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 the, all these meetings. And so in order to push back against that busyness, I kind of recommend every now and then just wasting an hour with God and saying, you know what? Forget the schedule. Forget my obligations. It is better that I should give some time to God and that it would cost me something. Like routine prayer is really uh, important because like, like a disciplined approach to prayer is going to shape you. It will change your perspective about your relationship. Um, but we also need to, to find ways to be attentive to God, right? Because again, if I'm setting myself up in my routine prayer for expectation, then I also need to understand God's going to show up at times. And when he does, when he wants to talk other times, I need to be available for that. So we need, to, we need to do both of these things. Setting myself up to, to devote my, my day to God, to expect something from him, but then also when he shows up, being available to him. Um, my lovely wife uh, and I were talking the other day, and she had a profound thought, and I'm, I'm not looking at her while I say this, because she'll probably be like, why are you bringing me up? Uh, and it was this. When the disciples were, were hanging out with Jesus, that was prayer. I mean, they're talking to God. They're just hanging around, talking with God. Um, and I, that image was helpful for me to think about spontaneous prayer. Um, because there's, there's um, no doubt that uh, when the disciples came to Jesus, they did things like, like pleading with him. Like, oh, Lord, would you heal this person? Would you, would you do this? And, and no doubt they, they went up to him and so much and talked to him, Jesus, we so appreciate you. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And no doubt that they were um, uh, talking to him about all the things that they were learning and excited about. And no doubt they were bringing their, their cares to him and all the things that we normally associate with prayer in our minds, right? They were doing all those things together. But I have no doubt in my mind that they would also be walking along with Jesus, praying and say, how about this weather? You know, stupid stuff like that. Or talk about all their lame stories from high school. Hey, this one time, Jesus, I did this. And Jesus would be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> he just, you know, that's prayer. That was, for them, that was prayer, just talking to Jesus. Um, and I say that because, man, if the disciples were always praying, just talking to Jesus, that dialogue was not always veneered in spirituality, like I normally think of it, right? It's not overtly spiritual things. It's just casual stuff. Hey, wasn't that, wasn't that hummus really good? Oh, man, they have great hummus over there. I say that all the time. I love hummus. Um, I'd love to be alive, man. So, like, like it's, not, it's not just spiritual topics, I think the kind of relationship the disciples have with Jesus is, is not unlike the type of relationships that we right now are called to have. Where we're talking to God about the serious things, the things that are really on our heart, are, are, are the things that we are just pleading with God about, and also just the casual stuff. God, let me tell you this story. Let me share you with this thing. Like, like this thing made me laugh, God. Let's, let's like talk about it. Prayer is practiced, 
but it's not unlike normal social relationships. I, I really think it has to be. It has to be. We have to normalize a, 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 a dialogue with God if we're going to have spontaneous prayer throughout the day. Um, and I think we would do well to take prayer and put it in a category that is not as distinct from our normal, like in our minds, not as distinct from our, from our normal relationships in life. Which, like, I think for uh, some of us is going to be work, right? Because we think, well, prayer. I'm talking prayer. I mean, it's like a big deal. I don't want to bother God with my little lame jokes. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to bother God with who I am. I just want to present God my, my best. And, you know, like, maybe, just maybe, God just wants your normal self. Maybe God just wants you to just, like, be attentive to him and to just interact with him like you would a good friend. I think that's actually peak reverence. I really do. Um, but to take that step, like to aspire to a, a normal kind of more social relationship with God, like where we're just talking to him, I think there's three things, three things that we need to kind of curate. The first is our attention. Well, we talked about that last week. Uh, we need to be unbusy enough to be available to God. If um, we don't have the ability to turn our attention to him when he shows up, then we're going to really have trouble developing this relationship. Like if you have a friend, you're like, I will always be there for you, man, whenever you want. And then whenever they reach out, you're just like, I'm actually, I can't. I can't right now. Like consistently. I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you about being, don't just put that away. Put the guilt away. It's fine. It's fine. Everybody's busy, right? But if, but if God is showing up like, like, and he wants to meet with us and we expect him to, 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 to do something in our lives, then we need to be able to give him our attention. Um, you can't have a conversational relationship with God if you don't make some margin for it, some time for it. You got to meet with God when he wants to meet with you. Uh, the second thing is, is creativity. I really think creativity is, is needed for us to go this way. Like, uh, we have to think differently about prayer. And I think we have to, like, teach ourselves how to do this. Because it's a little awkward. It's a little awkward. There's an awkward phase, like in any relationship, getting to know you, like getting uh, to understand how this works. Uh, and, and I think, don't, do not just say, all right, I'm just going to start being, having a spontaneous prayer life. I, you'll do that for like a week, maybe. Maybe two days. <laughs> um, don't just say, right, I'm just going to do it. Um, come up with creative ways and think of it like, okay, for, for, for two weeks, I'm going to try this. For one month, I'm going to try this. Come up with creative ways to start to integrate and grow comfortable with a conversational relationship with God. Um, and just like a few examples, like prayer walking is really helpful for me. So prayer walking is I'm going to, I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to walk to this point, and then I'm going to walk back. So I've, I've just kind of decided what I'm going to do, and then I'm just going to spend that time talking to God about whatever comes to my mind, right? So I'm putting some structure around a spontaneity, right? But I'm, I'm creating room for it so that I can just sort of like grow in that muscle of just talking to God about whatever I'm seeing, whatever's coming to my mind, you know? So I'm just going to start my prayer walk. I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, would you just like come? I know you're present with me right now. I know you want to interact with me. And I'm coming here like as a learning, growing into this relationship sort of thing right in this moment. And I'm just going to walk where I was going. I'm going to walk back and I'm just going to spend that time in God's presence. And then at the end of it, I'm going to stop and I say, okay, what did I learn? What did I learn about listening to God? Like, where was I distracted? 
Uh, where did I feel like, oh, hey, this, this, this really works? Like, and then how can I bring that into my regular life outside of this prayer walk time, right? Being present with God is something you have to learn. It really is. Like, it feels weird otherwise. I'm, I'm a very self-conscious person. Not sure if everyone noticed that. I'm probably, now I'm thinking about it. Um, <laughs> and so, so to have this, like, conversational relationship with God, like, I'm always doing this thing in my mind where I'm just, like, judging myself and thinking about myself, like, thinking about me, thinking about God. Like, that's, that's just a terrible place to be. <laughs> um, and so I have to teach myself and my mind and my body, like, how to just be present to God, how to have that conversation, like, it's, it's, it's not, it does not come naturally, but I think this, if, we, if we make time for God and we say, Lord, I want to learn, I want to come as a learner, I think he shows up and, and he teaches us things. Uh, I can't remember who said it. Uh, they said, like, um, experience really doesn't get you anywhere, um, but, uh, like, revised experience, like, like, thinking about your experiences, learning lessons. Like, you can do things all day long and never learn a lesson from it because you never actually think about what you learned. Like, set yourself up to learn and grow in this, in this capacity. You really can do it. Like, this is, that's like, that's like the team that goes out and fields grounders for an hour and say, okay, what did we learn? How, do, how can we improve our technique? How can we get a little bit better at turning the ball around? Oh, gosh, sports analogies. I know. You turn the ball around, is that what you do? I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't know. Um, like, you are, you are applying and learning and growing in this thing. Think about it that way. Think about it as a learner. Um, Frank Laubach, he was a guy, I think he was, like, alive in the 30s, 40s. He had this thing he called the, the game of hours, and his, he challenged himself every, one second out of every minute to think about God. And, and he gamified his relational connection with God, and his goal was to get to 60, 60 seconds over the course of one hour, one second each hour, right? So just to, to turn his mind momentarily, even for one second, like, Lord, thank you. That's one second, right? It took one second, you win that minute, right? And just to develop and cultivate an awareness with God, right? So bringing structure to teach myself to how, how to do this. But most of the time, I just zone out for an hour, right? That's just my experience. I don't know about you. Uh, most of the time, I'm just like, oh, gosh, it's, it's, been, it's been two and a half hours, and I'm still sitting here doom scrolling. You know, maybe not two and a half hours. I have a wife. <laughs> Stop me. Um, here's another thing. I, I just thought about this. This might be lame. Maybe if you have a lot of friends who you, who you text a lot, why don't you just, like, text God? It's, like, embarrassing to think, oh, God doesn't have a cell phone. Who, who would his service even be? Um, <laughs> uh, but, like, you just text yourself, text to God. You know, just, like, like, if that is a way that you communicate normally with people, then just, just do that, but introduce, like, via a, a kind of, like, yeah, I get it, like, kind of like a dumb-sounding exercise, but to cultivate an awareness of God in, in a relationship with Him. You'll probably be embarrassed to do that. I would be embarrassed to do that, but then you'll get over it, and you'll realize, yeah, like, why shouldn't I think of talking to God the way I talk about to my friends or my spouse or people who I love. I've got to normalize this because it's not normal for most of us to talk to God, and that just needs to change. It could change. It's within your power, I think, to change that. I wanted to encourage you in that. So you got to make space for that. And then the last thing, uh, worship team is going to come up here. Oh, boy, we're not over. Um, you need imagination. Um, I think that... The thing that I believe is going to be hardest about developing a spontaneous life of prayer is that this doesn't feel like prayer, like whatever we have, about like what 
reverent, holy prayer looks like. Um, and I'm not saying that this should replace daily devotion. I'm not saying that. I'm saying do both of these things. But for many of us, prayer is just like, we think prayer is just like the structured daily thing. It's, oh, thou, Lord, art so, you know, it's King James English, <laughs> right? And so we have this idea that that is what reverence is, and, and there's nothing wrong with reverence. But reverence, if it makes us guarded around God, it's actually a hindrance. Like, if, if we don't understand Actually, God has, has paid for my sin and has invited me into the holiest of holies, not on my account, but on, because of his. And if we're just so reverent that we say, no, 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 Lord, I couldn't possibly, then actually what we're doing is saying to God, no thanks. <laughs> I know you want to have this relationship with me, but I'm just, I would prefer to stay on the outside, which if we read the New Testament is a mistake. It would be a mistake for us not to take Jesus up on his offer to have a close, spirit-filled connection with him because we're so afraid of God. Perfect love casts out fear, and that's because, not because like we shouldn't revere God anymore, but we understand that, yeah, we can revere him and understand he's holy and other, and yet he still loves us and wants relationship with us. That mindset is not lowering prayer. I think it's elevating it. It's taking God at his word for what he says is true about the type of relationship he wants to have with us. It's centering prayer in our life. Because when we actually come to believe that your, your, your whole life can be lifted up into the Lord's presence... I think that's so much better than us saying, oh, occasionally I, I ascend my eyes up to the Lord and I, I you know, tell him how great he is, but most of the time I just live separate from him. Like, like it's not, it is not to normalize a relationship with God to diminish God. It actually elevates our life to what he calls us to, a life of presence, a life of devotion and surrender to him. We've got to understand that this, the vision in the beginning, the vision in the end, what God is doing, we can do now by living a life, understanding uh, that we can reimagine what life is like because of what the Holy Spirit has done. We have to get this deep in our, in our heads. Um, Dallas Willard says this, and I'm going to read it slowly. In our, in our attempts to understand how God speaks to us and guides us, we must, above all, Hold on to the fact that learning how to hear God is to be sought only as a part of a certain kind of life, a life of loving fellowship with the king and his other subjects within the kingdom of heaven. We must never forget that God's speaking to us is intended to develop into an intelligent, freely cooperative relationship between mature people who love each other with the richness of genuine agape love, we must therefore make it our primary goal, not just to hear the voice of God, but to be mature people in a loving relationship with Him. Only in this way will we hear Him rightly. And I just, I think that's it. Like, we need to reimagine our life as a certain kind of life, a life of closeness and connection with Him. And you might think, there's so much standing between me and that. 
And I would say, number one, if you think your sin is the thing standing between you and him, I would say, number one, if there's unrepentant sin, you repent of it, and then it's taken away. And if there's, if there's not unrepentant sin, if you are just so down on yourself that you won't believe the gospel that you've been forgiven, that God has taken away that sin from you, then the, the cure for that is come back and remember the gospel. Faith is believing. Yeah, God has paid the penalty for my sin. It's no longer a backpack that I wear on me. I, I can put it down. He no longer looks at me and thinks of my sin. That stuff is gone, according to the gospel. So it's not your sin that's keeping you from you, unless you have something that you need to repent of, right? But barring all that stuff, what's keeping you from, from you? It's that you're living a life where you have no time, you have no attention, you have no expectation. And you can just reimagine your life. You're invited to. You can develop an awareness of God. And I'm praying that you will, that you'll start to practice prayer, if you haven't already, daily, and then cultivating this spontaneous relationship with God. You know, it's funny, like, as a pastor, like, you always, like, I'm like, oh, we got to finish big, <laughs> right? Which is silly. And ego. That would be ego speaking, right? Um, here's the thing the biggest finish that we could possibly have, the most amazing result of a time gathered together, the hugest, most life-changing, transformative thing would be that you go back and pray. And that might not feel like, rah, 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 we did it. God, it's all good. Like, let's worship for six hours. Right? It might not feel like that. It might feel like, well, that's kind of boring, and that's a lot of work for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But, but here's, it. here's the wide-open invitation. Like, you can have a life with God. You can, you can grow from the point where you're at and have a greater awareness of him in your day. You can have a greater connection with him by the Holy Spirit. He's made it all possible. Go and just like field the balls. Do the work. Develop that relationship. And you'll just see, man, I, if we could do that, I think this whole power and experience in the feelings that we love to get this like awesome, like, oh, isn't that cool? Like that could be... I don't want to get, it's not like every moment of your life, but that could be so immediately available. That closeness with God could be so immediately available if we learn to meet with God. So go and learn to do that. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. And let's stand up. Let's worship together here. Uh, we'll close in a second. <laughs>